When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is $1 million enough to retire with? It sounds like a lot of money, but if you think about it differently, the average person in the United States working from their 20s to their 60s should earn this amount of money at least twice over. Earning a million or two throughout your lifetime is certainly much different than saving a million dollars. I've been thinking recently whether a million dollars would be enough to retire on, or to supplement one's income in retirement. Most people will receive social security benefits when they reach at least age 62. Many more people have pensions they have earned through their employment. The average retiree will likely have multiple streams of income, but perhaps not all people fall into this bucket. So how much money do you really need to retire? That's a tough question to answer. I think an easier question to answer is how much money will you need to fund your retirement? A simple rule for drawing down your portfolio in retirement is the 4% rule. Essentially, once you retire, you take 4% of your portfolio value and withdraw that sum of money each year and adjust for inflation. So if you have $1 million in your portfolio, you would take out $40,000 per year and then adjust for inflation each year thereafter. If your portfolio was invested in cash, earning virtually no interest, and you didn't adjust for inflation each year, this pool of money would last you 30 years. That's a long time, but if you don't adjust for inflation, your buying power would decrease every year. During the past 94 years, the average inflation was 3.07% per year. Now the average inflation was 3.07%, but the range of inflation varied wildly since 1928. For example, in the early 1930s, we had a period of negative inflation for three consecutive years. And in the 1970s and 80s, there were multiple years of double-digit inflation. Therefore, if we look at the 65, 30-year periods of time since 1928, a 4% withdrawal rate adjusted for inflation on a portfolio earning no return would last you roughly 18 and a half years. Worst case scenario, you would draw down the entire portfolio in just 15 years. And best case scenario, it would last you 25 years. Obviously, keeping your money invested in cash over a long period of time is a poor choice. Between 1928 and 2021, the S&P 500 returned 11.82% per year, not adjusted for inflation. Clearly, investing the entire portfolio in the S&P 500 would have been a smarter route to take. But the range of annual returns for the S&P 500 since 1928 also varied wildly, and no two 30-year periods had identical results. While we usually have some flexibility when we retire, For the most part, we have limited control over what market returns we will have to live through during our retirement. I tested how the same 4% withdrawal method would have worked out if you kept your entire portfolio invested in the S&P 500 and took your withdrawal as one lump sum at the beginning of each year. Out of the 65 30-year periods since 1928, only two would have not sustained the 4% withdrawal rate adjusted for inflation. I think that's pretty good, an almost 97% success rate. In fact, on average, the size of your portfolio would even grow with this withdrawal strategy. The average market value of all 65 portfolios would be roughly $10.6 million at the end of the 30-year period. The best 30-year period finished with a portfolio worth nearly $26 million. The beauty of this test is that it has the same results for a portfolio of any size. If you started with a portfolio of half a million dollars, it would yield the same results since the math is all the same. 4% of half a million is 20,000. So this withdrawal rate would generate less income with a smaller portfolio and more income with a larger portfolio. But the beauty of this example is that the S&P 500, even with its sometimes volatile returns, would sustain a 4% withdrawal rate nearly all of the time, in turn funding your retirement income and keeping up with inflation. 
To show you just how much inflation varied during the last 94 years, let me break down how the initial $40,000 withdrawal changed over the course of 30 years across all 65 test periods. On average, the final withdrawal amount in year 30 was about $122,000, or a little more than three times the initial amount. The lowest inflation period had a final withdrawal amount of about $66,000, and the highest inflation period pushed the final withdrawal amount to about $188,000. After looking at the results of each of the 65 30-year periods, some were a nice and steady glide up, with the portfolio value almost always increasing year after year and some were very turbulent with the market value swinging wildly from year to year. The latter is probably not an ideal path for a retiree looking for some stability. The only two 30-year periods where the S&P wasn't able to sustain the 4% withdrawal rate were the periods that started in 1929 and 1930. This was the beginning of the Great Depression, during which the S&P fell nearly 86%. This was also a period of deflation, with inflation dropping nearly 26% in the early 1930s. The 1929 portfolio, even with the 86% drop in the S&P, would still sustain a 4% inflation-adjusted withdrawal rate for nearly 22 years, and the 1930 portfolio would last nearly 25 years. I think that's quite impressive for starting at the beginning of the worst stock market crash of all time. If you're planning on using the 4% rule in your retirement, it's quite easy to figure out what size portfolio you need. Just take the expected amount of money you think you'll need in the first year of your retirement and multiply it by 25. So for example, if you think $3,000 per month will be enough to cover your expenses, you would take $3,000 times 12 months, which is $36,000 per year, and multiply $36,000 times 25, which is $900,000. A portfolio of this size invested in the S&P 500 should sustain a 4% inflation-adjusted withdrawal rate. I didn't factor in taxes in my example, because they will likely be different for everyone, but you can estimate what tax bracket you will fall into and adjust accordingly. But what if you won't be able to amass a portfolio of this size before you retire? Maybe you started saving too late, or just don't have sufficient spare income to invest. You have a few options. You could try to delay retirement to hit this goal. You could learn to live on less. Or you could start with a higher withdrawal rate. But here things start to look a little less reliable. With a 5% withdrawal rate, the same test yields positive results about 81.5% of the time. This means that for 12 out of the 65 30-year periods, the S&P wasn't able to sustain a 5% withdrawal rate. At a 6% withdrawal rate, the rate of success drops to 70.7%, and at a 7% withdrawal rate, the rate of success drops further to about 61.5%. Under all scenarios, the odds are still in your favor, meaning that more likely than not, the S&P could sustain a higher withdrawal rate. But having a 30 or 40% chance of failure is not a comforting feeling when it comes to retirement. The other thing to consider with having your entire retirement portfolio invested in the S&P 500 is that the chances of living through some wild market swings are very high. Maybe you don't want to deal with the emotional toll of seeing your portfolio cut in half early on in your retirement. One option to mitigate some of this volatility is to introduce bonds into your portfolio. Bonds have typically been a safer investment than stocks, at least in terms of volatility. While bond values can and do drop just like stocks, they typically don't fall as much. If we take a look at US Treasury bonds, since 1928 they have returned 5.11% per year on average, with the worst annual return being minus 11.12%. The worst single-year loss for the S&P 500 was 43.84%, or nearly four times as much as the U.S. Treasury bonds. Running the same 4% withdrawal rate test on a portfolio made up of 80% S&P 500 and 20% U.S. Treasury bonds yielded 100% success. This means that even during the worst 30-year period, this allocation would sustain the 4% inflation-adjusted withdrawal rate. In fact, the 80-20 portfolio would remain successful up to a 4.11% withdrawal rate. 
If you recall earlier, I mentioned that the S&P 500 fell nearly 86% between 1929 and 1932. During the same time period, the 80-20 portfolio fell about 65%, which is still awful, but about 20% less awful than holding only the S&P 500. A 70% S&P 500 and 30% US Treasury bond allocation would also sustain the 4% inflation-adjusted withdrawal rate, as would a 60-40% allocation. The 70-30 portfolio would further lower your loss between 1929 and 1932 to about 55%, and the 60-40 portfolio to about 45%. The inclusion of bonds protects you from excess volatility and offers a smoother ride through the ups and downs of the market, but it also results in a smaller final market value. Over time, stocks go up more than bonds, and over a 30-year period, you are unlikely to finish higher with a portfolio that has any allocation to bonds. Of course, adding cash outflows to this equation complicates the results a little. I believe the 4% withdrawal strategy for retirement is an excellent option to take, and you can choose how much or how little volatility you want to see by introducing more bonds into this very simple portfolio. Additionally, most people will have some flexibility, where they can withdraw less money from their portfolio during worse market periods, or not adjust for full inflation if they don't need to. I think the key is to pay attention to what the market is doing. If you see your portfolio growing very quickly, then you can increase your withdrawal rate. And if the market is crashing, ease up on the withdrawals if you can. What I haven't touched on, and what I think is an even better option, is to do this with a dividend portfolio. What if you are able to match your dividend yield to the amount of money you need in retirement? With this strategy, so long as your stocks or funds continue paying and raising dividends, you won't have to sell any shares to generate cash flow. And here it doesn't matter which way the market moves, because your cash flow is coming in the form of dividends and not capital appreciation. While the dividend strategy may sound more appealing, it isn't perfect either. Let's say you have a million dollar portfolio that has a dividend yield of 4% and pays you $40,000 per year. I consider a 4% dividend yield to be pretty healthy, but with this yield you likely won't see a high dividend growth rate year after year. And if you find yourself in a high inflation period, the dividend income from your portfolio may not keep up with this inflation. This might force you to either cut back on your expenses or sell some of your shares to bridge the gap. There's also the possibility that one of your stocks or funds decides to cut its dividend, in turn lowering your annual income. This of course can be mitigated to some extent with proper stock selection. But dividend cuts do happen, and it can be a pain to deal with. The ideal situation would be to amass a portfolio larger than you need, and you either draw it down at a low rate, or if it's a dividend portfolio, maybe you don't use all of the dividends each year. If you start planning and working on this portfolio early enough in life, you should be able to have more than 25 times your necessary retirement income. But most of us don't start early, or we don't save enough money in our 20s and 30s, and then we try to catch up in our 40s and 50s. If you still have 10 or 20 years before retirement, I believe that is still plenty of time to build a healthy portfolio that will at the very least supplement your retirement income. The shorter time period will require more capital, and you'll have less room to recover from any mistakes you make along the way. But it's never too late to start building a portfolio. Most new investors try to find the next hot stock that will turn them into a millionaire very quickly, and most new investors fail and end up with returns that are below market average. I'm not saying you shouldn't take risk and invest in stocks that have the potential for high returns. I'm just saying maybe you shouldn't bet the house on it, especially if you just googled what the next hottest stock will be and invest based on something you read or heard online. I can assure you that all of the best stock pickers are not the ones writing or talking about what to invest in next. If you want to invest in individual stocks, then do your own research beyond what you read and hear online. And if that doesn't sound fun to you, then stick with index funds and you'll do alright. I invest in dividend stocks and I share a few of my monthly screeners that I use to find the companies I want to invest in. I share this process to show you how I do it, and not to tell you what to buy. If you watch any of my other videos, use my list as a starting point, and always do your own research. I can tell you from personal experience, there's nothing worse than making a shitty investment based on someone else's idea that you didn't properly vet yourself. That's it for today. 
If you enjoyed the video, please give it a like and subscribe to the channel. Thank you for watching and see you next time.